Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Good morning. Uh, it's my, thank you, William, very much. My great privilege to bring to you uh, the Word of God this morning. And I'll take off the face mask for the uh, assistance of communication clarity, especially for those who like to see lips moving. (sighs) What a beautiful morning, isn't it? It is a beautiful morning. And it is good that we can have an increased number of us here in church this morning. I know it's not everybody. I know that there's a few people out in the back hall and there's a few people at home, but it is so good for us to be able to meet together. And uh, I've got an interesting approach for the sermon today. This is something I have never tried before. So lately you will have noticed that um, Ian and Nathan have brought a couple of innovations in preaching to us. And those innovations have included things like mentimeters to survey the church. Now, I'm one of these people who always has to take it a step too far, all right? So I'm going to try today to base the sermon, to some extent, on your responses. It's a navigate your own sermon story, pick your own adventure. So your response could determine how this sermon goes. Are you up for me on this journey? So we're going to go up with a Mentimeter. So there was a a little link that was sent out by Rahul earlier. Um, I'm going to check that it actually is coming through. Has everyone got the questionnaire? Can we bring the questionnaire up? All right, hopefully it will work for everybody. And so the first question is, if everyone's got it, is it coming through? Excellent. The first question, what happens when you are given the impossible task? What happens when you are given the impossible task? And that might mean, now what does an impossible task mean? It could mean that you're asked to do something at work which is way outside your capabilities. You're asked to sit an exam, a year 12 level exam, and you're in year 7. It could mean that you um, are asked to do something on a spreadsheet and you don't know how to turn on a computer. It could mean that you're asked to provide first aid with no training. I'm hoping that the questionnaire is coming through. Um, what happens when you are given that impossible task? Do you, one, cheat and pretend you've done it? Two, quit and rage your salt? This actually, by the way, that's my favourite approach to when I'm playing a game sometimes and it doesn't work out and I'm not winning, right? I quit! I've had enough! Um, Three, find something else that is faster, easier, or four, persevere and do your best. Wow! Okay, so for 22 people here today, you're probably people who should be preaching this sermon rather than me. Um, Thankfully, there are some people who find something else easier. One who quits and rages, I would have answered that if I could, but mine wasn't working. Um, And cheat and pretend you've done it. Ooh, a couple. Ooh, that's good. A couple of honest answers going on here. Now, we all know the right answer to this question, right? We all know the right answer, 
But the real answer is sometimes different. And I mean, it's one thing to say, I will persevere. It's another thing to actually do it. Even over trivial things, even over a game of Monopoly, it's amazing how easy it is to get irritated, to sit there and go, I can't cope with this anymore. Especially if you're getting someone who always manages to get all the properties and you don't. Now, Jesus is often regarded or referred to as a bit of a nice guy, a good moral teacher. But he said and did things, some things, that are really, really hard. And I know I've spoken about this before. I'm, I, one of my favourite books that I've got outside of the Bible is a book called Hard Sayings of the Bible. And it's a book that attempts to expand all the really difficult to understand or difficult to accept teachings of the Bible and help us to understand them. The book is five times bigger than the Bible, even though it's only picking from a handful of passages. So then I'm going to give you a second question. Because some of you have given me that answers, those answers, I'm going to give you a second question. This one's a word cloud. What is the hardest teaching of Jesus? And that's going to require you to put in a sentence. So you might sit there and say, the hardest teaching of Jesus is to love your husband. Okay, well, maybe, maybe. That could be a teaching that is very, very difficult. Um, Love your wife, love your husband, love your neighbour. Do to others as you'd have them do to you. I'm, I'm leading you on a little bit here, but I reckon there are some that are even harder than all of those. So we'll see what people are coming up with. Love your neighbour, love... Oh, somebody had love your enemy up there. That's a tough teaching. Love your... Oh, hell. Yes, that is a tough teaching. Whether it's your enemies or enemies, it doesn't matter. Turn the other cheek, follow him. You know something? What is great here is you guys have helped me with, by picking the scripture that I'm going to preach from anyway. So this is very good indeed. Look at this. Pick up your cross and follow him daily. Love your boy. <laughs> okay, that's good. Unashamedly sharing the gospel. Fantastic. So based on that, and because I anticipated your answer, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5 and pick it up in verse 38. The Bible says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Now, it's not just that they heard it, it's actually in the scriptures, you know? It's part of, part of, the, part of the five books of Moses, one of the, one of the core principles of Israel. Israel's justice system was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, yes? And the reason why they had eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was it was meant to set a limitation to punishment, you know? It was the idea that if somebody has hurt you by, I don't know, breaking a limb or chipping a tooth, that the most you could do was to take the compensation or a revenge justice, if you like, of an equivalent amount of damage. Even to this day, that's exactly the same principle we run in our legal system. The more harm you do, the harsher your punishment. These days we like to measure the punishments in terms of dollars, right? So if you do a parking fine, like I managed to get up in Mooney Ponds the other day and you accidentally park in a permit zone in an area that's clearly marked as one and a half hour parking and subtly marked as um, permit area, 
that's my case. It costs you $109, right? But on the other hand, if you, uh, well, breach a coronavirus order, as Peter was talking to me about this morning, what was the fine? Is Peter in this room? No. I think he said it was over $5,000. So it depends on the amount of harm that you do. Obviously, in that parking space, I wasn't doing much harm. Although $109 still stings, and I'm still tossing up and protesting, but maybe I should read this scripture first. <laughs> um, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. My coat's gone. Anyway. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, these particular things, by the way, just before we, we go that much further, these were things that were well understood issues of their day. For example, that if they ask you to go one mile, go two mile, that was based on the idea that Roman soldiers, and Rome was occupying pretty much most of the sort of civilised world of those days, a Roman soldier who had a burden to carry could come up and tap along on any person who they happened to come across and say, this heavy load I'm carrying, I'm commandeering you to carry it for, the next, for a mile. All right? Now, believe it or not, people weren't very fond of that rule. They were, had other things to do with their life and sometimes the Roman soldiers going the other way to the way they're going, it didn't really matter. They had to go and do it and people resented this. So Jesus is saying... Roman soldier comes along and says, take my load for one mile. He says, yeah, give them two miles. This is not a nice teaching. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, as so many of you said in the word cloud, and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And now for the coup de gras, just in case all the rest of it was easy. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Ouch. Now, before I go to the next question in the word cloud, or the next question on the Mentimeter, before I go there, I am going to just highlight that last little bit of perfect. Um, actually, I won't bother. I'll go to the word cloud and then I'll come back to that. I'll come back to that. I'm not going to di divert you. So, I've got a mentimeter, the last mentimeter question. What do you think of the challenges in Matthew 5, 37 to 48? Jesus has given you those challenges. What do you think? Option one, easy. I do it every day. Two, hard. With a bit of effort, I can do this. Three, extreme. This is ridiculously difficult, impossible. 
So please pick your option and we'll see what comes through. Option four, don't answer at all. No. <laughs> Actually, everyone's picking option four. We'll see, if, we'll see what comes through when it comes through. No? Oh, well, there you go. I'll take a straw poll. Show of hands. Who thinks it's easy? Easy to obey that? Okay. We've got a couple of takers on easy. Who thinks it's hard to follow those teachings? And who thinks it's extreme, ridiculously difficult, almost impossible or impossible? Okay. Quite a few. Good. Because we'll keep on preaching then. <laughs> if everyone thought it was easy, then I was going to sit down and you were going to come and give me some serious Christian counselling because I thought, hang on a second, this is the problem. Okay. You know, that verse 48, which I drew your attention to, about being perfect, really pretty much rubs it in your face, as far as I... Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So, before we go into all of this detail, I want to go through a little bit of how do I understand a Scripture? How do we interpret Scripture? Because scriptural interpretation is at the heart of a lot of religious division today. If you look around Christian churches, one of the things that I used to hate, oh, look at this, the polls come through, extreme, fantastic, there you go, 21 people said it was ridiculously difficult. If you look at this, when you look at a scripture, you will see that there's quite a lot of different interpretations of how to apply it, and this particular scripture is no different. So the first thing to look at in a scripture, whenever you're wanting to understand a scripture and what to do with it, is the context. Do we understand the context in which it was written? That seems pretty obvious. And that was the bit that I was talking about before, the Roman soldiers, all these other things, to understand that there was a context to it. So at the time that Jesus was speaking, the people who were hearing it were living under occupation. They were living under an oppressive ruler. People may think that the Victorian government is oppressive, but that ain't nothing compared to the Roman soldiers. Have a look at the punishments. It wasn't $5,000, it was crucifixion. It was flogging, you know. Um, we're pretty soft. We like to complain about a fine. Oh, sorry, I'm pretty soft. I like to complain about a fine. I, didn't, I'm not, I shouldn't project that onto you. I'm sure that none of you ever complain about a fine. Um, alternative, then you look at the plain meaning of it. You know, there's a plain meaning of a scripture. You know, and just do it. That's, that seems pretty straightforward. But some of them have a plain meaning that is pretty confrontational. Like just earlier in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. You know, these are pretty extreme teachings. And the plain meaning is self-evidently not what he intended. So then you actually have to look at, do you look at the original language context? You can look at all of these different things, like the meaning of the word perfect. When I was researching for this sermon, there was abundant pages that told me, because it's always useful, the internet, isn't it? That the, the word underneath this is talios, and that the word perfect means, not necessarily perfect in the way we think of perfect, but it means complete, as in fully rounded. A complete picture. It doesn't actually make it any easier. Be complete, just as your heavenly Father is complete. Yeah, it doesn't work. Still not easy, still impossible to do. And then sometimes you've got to actually look at, well, what is the gospel itself? What is the context of the gospel? So I'm always fond of saying that when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the book of Matthew 
is written to a Jewish audience. It's written with a Jewish idiom and a Jewish style. Lots of fulfillment of prophecy. Um, and if you look, especially in some of its end times projections, it's got lots of florid language, prophetic language that doesn't literally mean what, it, what you think it looks like it means. It's actually written in a certain idiom. You've got to understand that. But then you've got the book of Luke, which is written from a Gentile perspective. And you look at the parallel passage and you go, oh, wow, that passage makes it a totally different interpretation. And certainly when you look at the, the prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem and you look at the Matthew version versus the Luke version, they look very, very different. But that's because one is written from a Jewish perspective and one is written from a normal Gentile perspective. I say normal because we're mostly Gentiles. Then you've got something like the book of Mark, which is um, the emotional gospel. It's got all the feeling words and everything else. And then there's the book of John, which is the theologian's gospel. has no parables, but has lots of deep teachings. And all of that seems like a lot of effort. So let's just go through and look at one of these parallel passages, and then we'll see what we can dig out of it. I want to dig into Luke chapter 6, verse 27 to 36. And if you could bring that up for me, that would be fantastic. And I'll bring it up over here on the iPad. Hopefully everything works. Now let's see if the Luke version of the Gospel actually makes it easier for us to follow. Because this is what we're after. We've got an impossible teaching, so let's see if we can get an alternative teacher. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to the other also. If someone takes a coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Oh, that's the tax collector's bit. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Yeah, that's where banks come from. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Well, that sounds a little bit easier than be perfect, <laughs> just as your Father is perfect, until you think about it, and you think, well, what does God's mercy actually look like? So it hasn't gotten us off the hook, has it? Looking at two different passages has not gotten us off the hook of the incredibly difficult teaching of Jesus to love your enemy, to go the second mile, to accept hardship when it comes and to not somehow resist that hardship. But to do even worse than that, not to, it's to even do good to your enemies. That, that verse in Luke 6.27, he said... Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Not just passively accept their hatred, do good to them. Bless those who curse you. I mean, I think I'm doing well when I come up with a snide remark rather than actually going back at them in the same tone. Does anyone ever feel like that? You know, oh, I showed a lot of restraint. I didn't really take them down. I just gave them a slightly snide remark. Oh, I'm so self-controlled and loving. Pray for those who mistreat you. 
not just your family, not just your friends, not just those who you like. How intense is this scripture? You see, the real way to interpret scripture, I gave you all this other stuff about looking interpretation and all this, and all those things are useful, but the real way to look at interpreting scripture is to look at the example of Jesus and his disciples. When you look at the example of Jesus, you can see what he meant through his life. So in the example I gave you earlier of cut off your hand, well, Jesus didn't go around cutting off any limbs. So we know that it was not literal. But on the other hand, we know that Jesus did an incredible amount of good while he was on this earth and continues to do so to this very day. All of us, at one stage, were Christ's enemies, and yet he accepts us. You see, his example is the perfect example. This incredibly difficult teaching that we see is not only a challenge for us, it's actually a reminder of who God is. It's a reminder of what he himself does. And we should be very clear about this. This is not about setting up some sort of karmic, passive acceptance of whatever happens. Oh, well, it's karma, I'll just take it, I'll suffer in silence. That's actually not what he's calling us to. He's also not calling us to an active resistance of what we believe to be evil. We've got to fight for what is right. We've got to fight, we've got to fight. That's not what he's calling us to do. He's actually calling us for an active response in love. And I find this incredibly difficult to cope with. I think all of us have a different natural inclination to how we respond to what we see as being wrong. All right? And I don't think very many people have a view that says, I can repudiate evil, I can reject it, but I can do it in this way of saying, I embrace the outcomes of what people do to me and then just show love back. I, I'm a fighter. I get angry and I lash out. That's my natural inclination. Somebody comes up to me and does what I perceive to be wrong by me, I want to lash out. I want to give it back to them. Other people, different personality type, they'll go and hide. They'll say, hey, I'm going to stay away from them. I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to engage with them. I'll stay away from them. I'll stay away from this altogether. I'm not going to repay evil with evil. So I'll just hide instead. And neither of those is what Jesus is actually talking about. What is he talking about? Well, what he's talking about here is the things that he showed us through what he did. What did Jesus do? In the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night before he was arrested and then crucified, what did he do? He went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed and submitted to God's will. He submitted to God's will even when it caused him so much stress 
that he was sweating blood. Peter says, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, he was silent. He, he did not protest. He did not argue. He allowed himself. He submitted and yielded to God's will. And ultimately, as a completely innocent and sinless man, he died and then broke the curse of sin and death, which is why we are all here today. That's the first thing. So he prayerfully submitted to God's will. The second thing he did was he, he did great good for people who deserve nothing, including strangers. And what, what sort of great good, apart from all of the teachings and everything? Well, you think about Zacchaeus, the tax collector, a rotten thief, a dirty scoundrel, a person who was stealing from the Lord's people, from his own people, as a tax collector, right? Jesus shows him kindness. Matthew himself was a tax collector. They had a terrible reputation in those days, tax collectors. I think they do a bit better these days. You think about the Roman centurion, a representative of an oppressive regime, and yet he got held up as a great example of faith. You think about the adulterous woman at the well, who Jesus said and spoke to and engaged with her gently, answered her questions, and then said, simply go and leave your life of sin. You think of the many, many examples in the gospel of the good that Jesus did as he healed people, as he rose, them, rose people from the dead, as he did all of this for people who, by and large, he knew would be in the crowd saying, hey, crucify him. Or even amongst the very best of them, the disciples, what did Peter do? I never knew him. I don't know the man. I, I have nothing to do with this guy. Jesus still did good. He demonstrated this love for enemies. Jesus told the truth. Then, then the third thing he did was he told the truth to all people. Now, this one's an interesting one because we read that passage and we can sometimes go, okay, well, this, I've got to be very submissive and I've got to yield and I've got to give. But then this one's even more controversial because the example of Jesus in yielding, in giving, in showing love also includes the rebukes he gave to his disciples when they were competing with each other. He told his disciples where they stood. Or what about when he was warning people of the consequences of sin if they don't repent? In Luke chapter 13, he says, you know, if you do not repent, you too will all perish. Now, Jesus, the one who's told us to love our enemies, is showing us an example of love. So warning people of the consequences of their action is obviously loving. You know, he actually even challenged his followers when they were in love with the miracles rather than wanting to follow the teachings. What did he say in John chapter 6? He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever does not eat of me cannot have eternal life. Right? 
You must eat my flesh, drink my blood, he said. And a lot of people said, this is a hard saying, who can accept it? And most of the people left him. And the only ones who didn't, as it's recorded, are the 12. Everyone stopped following him. He must have said that in love. What about where other followers tried to follow him and said to him, I will follow you, but first let me go and say goodbye to my mother and father. A very completely reasonable request, one would have thought. And then Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the gospel plough and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. You know? So he said really challenging things. While he did good, while he accepted the pain of loss, while he submitted to God's will, you can see what I mean by a very rounded character, can't you? This is the thing that helped me to ultimately become a Christian because I can see in Jesus what perfect love actually is. He somehow accepts difficult circumstances gracefully, offers his service generously, but still challenges the status quo and what's wrong in people vigorously. He managed to blend all of those things to show us what perfect love is. Now, you might say, well, that's fine for Jesus, but I'm not Jesus. So, you know, that's, that's good. I'll accept that as a description of Jesus. There's only one little challenge there. In Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 1, the Bible says... Hopefully, we've got the uh, scripture coming up. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Well, I'm afraid we don't get the cop out of saying that Jesus gets one standard and we get another. The Bible tells us that we're called to follow his example. We have to offer our lives up as an, as an offering. I can't escape the obligation I've got to swallow my natural instinct to fight instead of serve. I need to serve. I have to serve to follow my Lord. And for the, somebody who wants to retreat, I hate to say it, that's not the option either. He wants you to serve. For those of us who are too afraid to tell the truth, to speak the truth in love to people who need to hear it, the example he set was of speaking the truth in love. You see, in this amazing passage that all of you identified without any prompting, Jesus is laying down an impossible challenge. He's calling us to follow him, but not just to follow him by turning up to church on Sunday and enduring a sermon and going, okay, I managed to do the sermon without going to sleep. That's my suffering lot for the Lord. That's not the calling. The calling is to follow Jesus. The purpose of the sermon, hopefully, is to feed us so that we can be directed or have some direction as a team, if you like, as a community in following Jesus. I think to be fully committed to a life of love with no room to be fussy about who we show this love is the challenge that we face today. 
I'd ask you to think right now about anybody for whom you do not want to show love. Is there someone in your life who you go, I just don't want to get out of my life. Stay away from me. Might be a friend who's hurt you. You've got to think, is that the calling? Now, I'm not saying go and re-engage with them and say, hey, let me serve you in there. You work out how the right way. The right start is to pray. Pray for wisdom. Pray for that person's well-being. Pray for that person to come to know Jesus. I am so thankful that Jesus didn't rage quit on us. You know, he must have looked at it as the impossible mission, the game that could not be completed successfully. You know, looking at all of us, looking at humanity and seeing the evil that we do to each other even when we know the right thing to do, even in our families, even with the people that are closest to us, we harm them and we hurt them and we do the wrong thing. He must have been tempted to rage quit, but he didn't. Faced with the impossible task of making humans perfect, he accepted death on the cross after living a perfect, sinless life. He broke the curse of sin and death for all who want to be with God. Everyone can come to Jesus. Everyone can accept him in faith and the work that he has done for us. And through that acceptance, the fact that we fall short of that impossible standard, the gap is already made up. The gap between where you are and where God needs you to be has already been erased. It doesn't mean he doesn't want you to try to live your best towards it. But the gap has been erased and we can persevere in following him. We can take option four on the impossible, impossible question that I had at the start, where the option four is genuinely to persevere and do your best. But the difference is you do your best with the spirit of God within you. The difference is that the gap is made up by the blood of Jesus. The difference is that the confidence we have is that he rose from the dead and we know that that means eternal life for all of us. So thank you for choosing a path that enabled me to complete the sermon today. I want to reassure every one of us, our failures are not final, our efforts are not futile, that when we accept Jesus, everything can be worked out so that we can live out those scriptures the way he intended. And one day we'll be in heaven and we will see and feel and touch perfect love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. It really challenges us. I can't even think of how anything could be more challenging than loving your enemy. I can't even think of anything that could be harder. I always look at love your neighbour, love the Lord as yourself. Oh, that's okay, I can do love neighbour as myself. I'm sure I can pull it off. But Lord, you put out a challenge in front of us. You ask us to go the extra mile. But you ask us this 
after you have done it. You have lived as a human among us. You have shown us what can be done. You have shown us the perfect way. And you've given us the gift of life, the gift of your spirit to be able to help us. I pray that, Lord, that all of us can be inspired and motivated and determined to decide to follow you no matter what, every single day, all of the way. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.